In this episode, we are exploring psychology, facts, and hacks. So we have some fun ones to share with you. And we also consulted two psychology experts. And we have some questions that we asked them here in the episode too for you. So this is Heather Wood and Jamie Hayhurst, and this is the Intuitive Girls Guide. Hey, Jamie. I thought we could talk about psychology, facts, and hacks today. What do you think? Mm, sounds interesting. So for this episode, I thought it would be super fun if not only did we talk about some fun facts and some psychology hacks you can use in your life, but if we actually consulted a few experts in psychology. Ooh, experts. I like it. All right. Before we get to that, let's start with some facts. Are you ready? Yep. I, I know that you'll appreciate this first one because I, it's it describes both of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hear it. All right. Sarcasm is a sign of a healthy brain. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sarcastic. You would never be sarcastic. See, that was sarcasm. You see what I did there? <laughs> yes. Okay. So people who um, use sarcasm often have creative um, minds. They are abstract abstract thinkers, and they are better at reading people. Ooh, really? Better at reading people? Yeah, that was the that's like mm. the way they worded it. That's not even my language. Maybe because you have to be good at reading people before you offend them with your sarcasm. <laughs> Totally possible. It kind of reminds me of my theory I had um, back a couple episodes ago in the first uh, mind episode about like using humor and comedy. Like sarcasm is kind of that a little bit. Like you have to have a level of understanding of, um, you know, what you're talking about and what you're making fun of. And I think that applies here. Definitely. Definitely. Hey, I think now might be a good time to play one of the chats we had with one of our expert therapists that we called in. What do you think? Yes, I think now would be the perfect time to hear from Rachel. Oh, yeah, that was such a good one. She had some amazing truth bombs, Jay. Yeah, like big moments. Yeah, I can't wait. Okay, here it is. All right. All right, so we have our first expert with us, Jamie. Are you so excited? I'm super, super excited right now. Okay. So the expert that we have to help answer some of our um, questions that we came up with about psychology and mental health and all that good stuff is Rachel Tyrell. She is a licensed mental health counselor and Jamie, she's a Reiki master too. Ooh, I love it. She's the owner of Rachel Tyrell Wellness. um, And I will shout out her website again at the end. And I'll also put it in the show notes for everybody, but it's racheltyrellwellness.com. So Uh, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you are here. Um, Well, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what's your area of expertise when it comes to being a mental health clinician? Like, do you have one? Is there like a population you work with more? Do you specialize in something? Like, give us a little info about that. Sure. Uh, my, the general people that I work with are, uh, anybody from, um, age 14 through end of life, um, for general mental health support. So depression, anxiety, bipolar. Um, I also have a background of working with people in recovery from addiction. Um, 
but the real, the heart of what I love to work with people about is helping them during times of change and transition. So when their yesterdays will not in any way resemble their tomorrows, how do we sit there and make this a, a point of good change? How do we help them take control, you know, shake out what beliefs aren't working for them, form new ones, and just have the next step be the strongest, most fulfilling and wonderful as possible. So that's, that's what I like to do. I needed a Rachel many times. <laughs> I love the way that sounds. It's so amazing. Yes. I I have this particular Rachel in my life. I'm very lucky. <laughs> and I, I can tell you she's great at that. And my gosh, you must, you must have a lot of this happening right now because I feel like all the chaos going on in the world and, you know, living through a pandemic, it's really creating like a lot of change for people. I think maybe some forced, some like for people's choosing, but do you feel like people are just in a kind of a, a big state of change right now? Oh, absolutely. And in so many ways, it has been horrible for all of us. But in so many ways, this is such an opportunity to really look at doing things differently. Because, you know, if we were to say, you know, 18 months ago, hey, if you want to work from home, we're going to find a way to make it happen. Or, hey, if you want to spend more time with your kids or have more control over the things they eat and do and schooling, we can do that. Or if you want to start your own business and, you know, break away from the job you have, we can find a way. And everyone will be like, no way, that sounds crazy. You know, yeah. and then the entire world did it all at the same time. Exactly. And it showed us that it's possible. It doesn't necessarily mean it's comfortable or it's going to look pretty, but we can make it we can figure it out and make it work. And then that's a springboard into making it look pretty and making it sustainable. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And that's so true. And we all, we kind of all did get thrown into it at the same time. Like what a weird social, I get like experiment kind yeah. of right? crazy. All right. Well, I know that, I know that you're a Reiki master. So I know that mm -hmm. that means that you are into intuition. I also know you personally and know that you are too, but I wanted to know, like, how do you see intuition, like in your field and how do you use it personally or do you use it personally when you are doing um, sessions with people? I, I think it is such an important tool and really, you know, the cornerstone of a lot of what we do as therapists. Um, I think we just use different words. You know, I, I, and that's really the big difference. I feel like we have the the formal words that everybody wants to hear that I got when I was going to get my master's for this. And then there are the woo-woo, new agey, touchy-feely crystal words that people like to hear. And it's just figuring out where their comfort zone with that is because at the core of it, we're just working to help people learn how to trust themselves, how to sit there and tune in and listen to their own inner voice and trust themselves. And trust is a big, scary word for pretty much everyone I know, myself included. And so helping people learn how to trust themselves and what they're feeling and, and go from there, it just, it helps boost self-esteem. It helps reduce anxiety and it, it helps just, you know, everything go much more smoothly. So that's, I, I feel like it's one of those things that it, it exists in all the worlds. It's just a matter of the words that we use to describe it for the people's comfort. Absolutely. And I really find that there are so many things when I'm studying like or learning about psychology or mental health and I'm, I'm learning like maybe how a therapist would present this or something like that. There's an alternative somewhere that I've learned in the holistic spiritual world that is like the same exact freaking thing. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I come upon that all of the time. And uh, I, I actually came into the, the world of psychology sort of backwards because prior to going to school for this, I had worked with a life coach and they are the ones that introduced me to, you know, different authors and ways of looking at things. And I was like, this is cool. And then I went to grad school. And like you said, it's a lot of the same concepts and ideas just presented in a different way. And I was like, wait a second. This, this turns out that this is universal then. It's <laughs> just a matter of, of what world we're coming at it from. Right, like kind of need like a translator. Yes. And I, I also, I love what you said about how you kind of like adjust for the comfort of somebody, like maybe like knowing that somebody might be more comfortable with more like scientific psychology language and somebody else might be more comfortable with like, who intuitive language I think I think being a therapist that has her her toes in both worlds like that that really gives you a big advantage to kind of showing up for the people um in in the way that they can best feel seen and heard right so I, I love that you do that so my next question um in our our last episode we talked about things like mindset and personality and levels of consciousness so I wanted to know how changeable do you think those are? Like, I feel like everyone's kind of a combo. Jamie and I talked about like some elements are fixed and some are, are changeable, but what do you see as someone who does this work to, with people? Like, can people really make a change to their level of consciousness or mindset or maybe personality? Or is it just like, okay, you can't change your personality, but you can change this. Like, how do you think of all those things? I, I think it really comes down to the mindset part of it, because if you think that you can, if you think that you can access something different, then you'll be able to, you know, so it's a matter of building up a person's tools and their confidence and again, their connection to their intuition to find out whether or not that's going to be something that will come true for them. Because a lot of times, you know, our personality and the way that we present ourselves is very much a reflection of how we feel in the world around us. So, you know, whether that's at work or at home or with our family. So the way that we can show up differently is going to be changed by our mindset about that. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love all of that so much. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Well, that kind of makes me think of something that I know um, you say a lot to people, Rachel, which has to do with, um, people telling you that they either don't like change or they're not good at change. And you, you kind of like to argue with them about that kind of mindset. So will you kind of explain that a little bit? Sure. Sure. I think this is, this is one of those things that when people can connect with it and, and reframe how they, they look at change, it is just so transformative. And, and the concept I've of change, the idea of it, that, you know, change is hard, change is uncomfortable, change is inevitable. All of those things are, it's our societal programming. Those are phrases that I feel we hear on sitcoms and we hear in music lyrics. And it's just, it, it's in our day-to-day -day mindset of, of our culture. And in reality, we love change. You know, who wants to eat the same exact food every day? No, you want to change it up. I hope everybody here, you know, changes their toothbrush and changes their underwear and changes <laughs> the oil in their car. You know, these are all things that this is change that is just part of it that we expect and it's comfortable because it's what we need to do. So, you know, learning that 
you know, being able to identify the things in our life that we enjoy the change about and seeing how we're able to do that easily and gracefully, you know, we can take that same attitude and again, mindset and those tools and use them to the changes that may be less comfortable. You know, being uncomfortable won't kill you. So it's a matter of just learning how to be more comfortable with it and, um, and going from there. So, you know, if we can embrace change and learn that we're actually much better at it than we think we are, then everything can be possible. Yeah. I I feel like there's a constant script and I don't know where it comes from that it runs in my head that like change is bad or change is scary or unsafe. And when I really think about it, I really do love change. Like I'm bored easily. I don't like to be locked into the same thing. So I love what you're saying because it's so true. It's like, you have to think back that like past that weird programming, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I want to know, I'm, I'm excited to ask you this question. Do you, as a, as a therapist, do you treat empaths or intuitive people differently? Or do you have like a different protocol? Do you make adjustments in your own head? If you have somebody like that with you, like, do you pick that up pretty quickly? Like, tell me, tell me your approach to that. It, it's, you know, my job as a therapist is to meet the person where they are. So their level and comfort with their intuition really just shows me sort of where on the path they are with their comfort level with themselves. So I don't treat them differently. <laughs> Pump the brakes. Go back. Say it again. <laughs> say it again. That you, that, 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 the, say that one piece again. Oh, my God. So it, the, <laughs> the person's connection to their intuition really just shows a reflection of how comfortable they are with themselves. Holy guacamole. Do I love that? And is that, that's really incredibly true. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're sort of seeing that and that's kind of giving you information about how comfortable they are, are with themselves, but you're not, is that really the only adjustment you're making or the only thing you're kind of deducing from that? Like, is there anything else that you're like, okay, I've got a highly empathic or highly intuitive person. I better do this or not do this. Or is it, is it mostly just that comfort with themselves? Well, it, that helps inform where they are in their journey and what coping skills they currently have access to. Uh, people who are more comfortable with themselves are going to be more comfortable with things like change and feeling uncomfortable. Um, whereas ones who aren't, we have some other work to do first. So it, it's not so much a judgment. It's just a figuring out where they are and trying to assess to get them where they want to be. I love that so much. It's, are you ready for this question? How much of who we are do you think is nature and how much of who we are do you think is nurture? I have wrestled with this question for <laughs> years and years and years. And I, the answer that I've best been able to come up with is that our nature informs the way that we interpret our nurture. Ooh, okay, okay. Uh, that's good too. Yes. <laughs> sort of the answer to, you know, that we talk about how if you have two siblings that grew up in the same family, you know, relatively close in age. So in theory, their experience in their family is very similar. One has lots of struggle and one very easily opens up to a success. And, and I think that's the, the disconnect there is the person's nature and the way that they connect to the nurture that's provided. Wow. Oh, Jamie, we're going to have to steal some of the stuff for our imaginary <laughs> I was going to say, put it on a t-shirt. 
Wow. That's, that's an amazing way to think of it because it sort of takes the, it kind of takes the question away altogether in a way. It's, it's just sort of setting you up to like kind of reframe it. Oh my gosh. I love that. All right. I wanted to know if you had any weird or cool facts about the minds that you love to tell people. One of my favorite ones, um, actually it touches on what we were talking about earlier. I, I learned it first in my life coaching days. And then when I was in grad school, it came up again. And I was like, what? This is in both. <laughs> this is actually real. And it is, it's real. So there is a part and touches on change too. There is a part of the brain, uh, called the RAS. It's the, I always have to look this up, the reticular activating system. So basically it's the part of your brain that houses your belief systems. So the belief systems that come from your family, from school, from friends, from TV, from all of your frames of reference, but it's, it's where all of that lives. And then outside that is your ego, the guard dog. And what it does is as information comes in, it, it has to go by the guard dog, you know, and it keeps the things that don't match your belief system out. You get that ego reaction, that bristle, that upset, the discomfort that comes up. Um, and it goes away, you know, bounces and says, that doesn't match, can't come in. Whereas if you want to change your belief systems, you know, you, that's what's going to happen. So say somebody doesn't feel confident with, you know, the way that they look. If somebody compliments them and says, oh, you look fabulous today in their head, that negative self-talk is going to be like, no, I don't. Are they trying to make fun of me? You know, oh, they didn't see me yesterday. Like, all of that negative stuff that just, you know, goes through on that tape. And so that's, that's the dog barking. So the way to get that dog to, you know, just like we would train a real dog is you need to give them the same repetitive information over and over. So the more you hear it, the more the dog will become familiar with it and suddenly let it come into the house. That's how we bounce out the old belief systems and embrace the new ones. I love that. Yes. Me too. I you was... bet your ass you do. <laughs> I love the analogy with the dog and like just feeding it the information so it doesn't see it as a threat anymore. Oh, that's a good one. Uh-huh. All right. Why, why do you think mental health still has the stigma that it has today. Like we've come a little ways, but do you have any thoughts on like why we're still looking at it the way we do? I, I think a lot of people connect mental health with a character flaw, you know, so that if you are struggling with depression or anxiety, then that's because you weren't strong enough. When in reality, mental health, we're talking about the brain, your brain's health. And there are two sides to it. There's the the chemical health, you know, so if you have, you know, a brain tumor or, you know, your brain chemicals are off kilter, so you need to take medication to regulate it. People, you know, or a headache or a migraine, people seem to think about that as the medical side versus the, you know, it, the mental health side, the way that we think, because it's not as tangible, people assume that it's a character defect. So if, I think if we can move away from that and realize that we're one holistic system and treat ourselves as such, then it, it will make so much more sense. You know, so we talk about the need to do things like take a mental health day from work. You know, if you have the flu and you are down and out, you can cancel meetings, you can change a flight, you can, you know, slip away from the world for a bit to take care of yourself because no one's going to want to look at you while you're sick with the flu. We need to treat mental health moments like that as well. You know, if there are days that you wake up and you just can't and you need to go back to bed and lay down and sleep, that's okay. 
you know, and the difference between needing outside help or not needing outside help is just like with the flu, you know, it lasts for a couple of days and you bounce back and everything's fine. It happens. You know, if it lasts longer, you go and you see somebody who will help you. Oh, so good. And I, I especially see that attitude of like the character flaw in like my parents' generation, like that they really seem to be like, oh, what's so wrong with you that you would need to see a therapist instead of just being like, oh, just like you go to the doctor to take care of yourself, you go to a mental health, you know, practitioner. So that's so right on. I love that. Um, okay. I want to know, this is a funny question. This is how my brain works. Cause anytime I'm with somebody who's a therapist or somebody who's like me, I'm always wondering if they're doing this. So how often are you like, quote unquote, analyzing people in your non-work life? A hundred percent of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> but but, but the, the thing is, is I did that before I was a therapist too. We all do that all the time. We are constantly assessing the world around us. You know, is the person in front of us safe? Are they familiar? Are they happy? Are they angry? You know, that's all information that we're already tracking. I just happen to have a more trained skill set about it so that I can see nuances more than other people. But if anything, that actually makes me more understanding and less judgmental than it would for people who don't have that. Because I can see somebody having a bad day and be like, oh, it's because, you know, they're really stressed out and all of this. So I need to give them more grace and space rather than being like, why are they a jerk? You know, so, yes. so, yes. so I may be analyzing everybody, but it's actually in your benefit. <laughs> yes. That makes sense to me. I feel like, well, I feel, I was going to say, I feel like I kind of do that too, but that was me downplaying the fact that I absolutely yes, I <laughs> uh -huh. interrogating everybody energetically um ever but I agree with that statement it's like a taken of information but because I do it so often it's very rare that somebody has something going on that I'm picking up on that is like not common <laughs> right. you know maybe it doesn't feel it to, to the person going through it but most of us are, are dealing with a lot of stuff so that's how I see it all right. Um, since you talk with so many people on a regular basis, you're all up in everybody's business and problems. Do you have any piece of like info or advice that you think like anybody would just benefit from hearing? Um, oh, I have a list, but if I had to pick one for right now, it's, and this is, might sound kind of harsh. You're not as special and unique as you think you are. <laughs> like, Ooh, yes. I have talked to so many people who are so afraid of a thought that they're thinking or a feeling that they're experiencing or a situation that they've got themselves into. And they are filled with guilt and shame and fear. And they tell me about it. And I, they are always shocked when I was like, I know six other people this month that have done that. And they're like, what? Like, yes, <laughs> it's because we just don't talk about things. And, and I think that's another thing that, you know, these past few years have given us is the space to get used to talking about things that used to be more taboo and used to be more uncomfortable. And we're getting better at those conversations. But that's why I think it's so important to talk about what's going on in, in a more general sense, you know, like talking about, you know, oh, I'm having some financial struggles, you know, what are some resources, you know, oh, I'm having this medical problem, you know, this is what's going on and not trying to be so, so afraid of other people's judgments about it. Because the thing is, is everybody's going through something. 
Yeah, I love that so much because we really do think that, right? We think that our issue is like people are going to hear it and be like, wow, you suck or something or that's so, you know, crazy and weird. But then like when you do share and somebody's like, yeah, that happened to me or yeah, I heard that. Like you really do feel kind of unburdened. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It takes the weight right off of it. I have a, a friend of mine who allows me to share her story. You know, she was in her fifties when she told me this, that she uh, talked to herself in her head, but she actually like heard her inner voice. Mm-hmm. And so she thought that that meant she might be schizophrenic. And I was like, oh. right, exactly. <laughs> so that, you know, and I was like, no, I was like, some people hear themselves. Some people feel themselves. Some people, I was like, that's just different people's brains work different way, but that's totally normal. You know, and I asked all of the, the counselor questions, you know, does it make you scared? Does it do this? You know, and she answered, no, I was like, no, that just sounds like your inner voice. That's your intuition. That's you connecting to you. But because she was so afraid that people would think she would create, that she was crazy and nuts, she never shared till she's 50 50 plus years of her life she lived that way oh i'm just gonna i'm gonna put the psa out right now and say if you are not currently and actively talking to a therapist please go do it because and tell them the thing so you don't go 50 years thinking something scary like that right and sometimes i think we need to just like get out of our own way a little bit right like if we had just allowed someone else to step in and just be a sounding board and put their two cents in, we can save ourselves a lot of trouble. Yes. Agreed. Yep. Um, okay. I have one more question for you. How much do you think the average person understands about how their own mind works? I less than they should. <laughs> I guess how I'll say that. That's a really <laughs> but nice again, that goes really back fun. into you know, our, our cultural and societal grooming, you know, don't question, don't think too hard, just walk it off, get over it, just go through. Mm-hmm. These are the expectations, meet them, you know, so it's not until we sort of venture outside that, that we start to really check in with ourselves and figure out what is right for us and what feels right and what our wants and needs and dreams are. So it's, I'm excited as more people jump on that path and they seem to be doing it in greater numbers and younger and younger. So I have lots of hope. Oh, I love that. That's so true. I love it. And that was such a nice diplomatic answer that you gave too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So a couple of things I want to tell people about if they want to check you out or connect with you more. Um, And the first one is that you have a group called the Wellness Group. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is a Facebook group, right? That people can join. Yep. For right now, um, I'm working on branching it out, but yeah, right now you can find it on Facebook. So well mess with an M. I love, I love well mess. That's, I feel like that is a beautiful word. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and then the other thing, you have this really cool thing going on right now called the emotional temperature project. Would you just tell people a little bit about this? Cause I think this is so cool. I am so excited about this. Um, so there's this thing in the crafting world, um, called a temperature blanket. And what you do is you take the average temperature for um, where you live for that day and you assign a color to different temperature ranges and you either crochet or knit a row or two. And you do that each day for a whole year. So you end up with this great big either blanket or scarf or whatever you want, but it shows a visual representation of, you know, the weather patterns for that year. And I, I was thinking that, you know, we're really poor communicators or you know, it's hard for us to remember how we felt yesterday 
because we survived it. So even if it felt like the worst day of our life or the saddest day of our life, the, the second we get distance from that, we're not going to be able to accurately capture it. So, you know, in plenty of journals and things, they have these like mood boards where you color in a square for a day and that's great. But I wanted something tangible so we could really start to see the patterns in our lives that go throughout the year. Because so many people have, you know, especially here in New England where it's darker and things like that in this time of year, you know, we have dips and lows and then the summer goes higher and everybody's happier. You know, the holidays can look all different ways. Um, so this is a chance to do a craft in whatever medium you want and really track this, track your emotional temperatures for the year. And that way, you know, with that, it'll bring more understanding. You'll learn tools like how to connect in with yourself, really see how you're feeling, trying to start figuring out why. And it's a piece of the puzzle of being able to help break those patterns and cycles that you didn't know you had or felt stuck in before. I love this idea. Isn't that so cool, Jay? It's really, really cool. I love it. It's so good. I love it. Awesome. So everyone can find out how to sign up for both of those things or check them both out by going to your website. So it's rachelltyrellwellness.com and I'll spell it, but I'm also going to put um, in the show notes, I'll put a direct link to her website so you guys can all find that. But it's Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, Tyrell, which is T-Y-R-R-E-L-L, and then the word, word wellness.com. So thank you so much for being a guest for us, Rachel. We so appreciate it. We'll be right back after this short break. Hey, Jamie, do you know what goes really well with listening to a podcast? A uh, great cup of coffee. Yep. And if you're local to South Shore, Massachusetts, you've got to check out Restoration Coffee. They're a specialty coffee shop that's been voted best coffee on the South Shore numerous times. And they offer more than just a great cup of coffee. They have specialty lattes, breakfast and lunch options, a cool vibe, and a really friendly staff. And if you're local or not, you can also order their beans, which are roasted in-house, by the way, and have them shipped anywhere. Yes, I'm going to go grab myself an Americano. No, grab me a Rachel with oat milk. That's my favorite latte. All right, you got it. And you know what, Jay? The owner is also really hot. Um, you should know you're married to him. <laughs> All right, visit restoration-coffee.com. That's restoration-coffee.com. And tell them that the intuitive girl sent you. All right, let's do some more facts. And I want to tell you about how yawning can be kind of a detector for empathy and also let you know if somebody is like watching you or paying attention to you. Why? Is that because it's contagious? Like yawning is contagious? Yes. So, Ooh. I know, right? Okay. So let's say you're, you're in like a room and there's somebody like, you feel like there's a creepy guy staring at you, but every time you turn around and look, he's like looking to the side of you or out the window, you know, that whole thing, right? Yeah. Okay. If you yawn so that he would be able to see you and then you turn to see if he's yawning also a second later, then he was looking at you. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. That's interesting. Now, I also found evidence that police will use this in interrogations. They will yawn to see if the other person yawns too. And if they, they don't, they're like, oh, this person does not have much empathy. And so they kind of use that as, as like 
not evidence, obviously, but in their in their like call of what they think of the person. So they're like a serial killers don't yawn. <laughs> that could be the name of a book. I <laughs> okay. Um, so I think I think everyone should totally try that. And if you are like me and just hearing the word yawn makes you want to, I'm sorry if you're like yawning in your while you're listening, but there you go. It just means you're highly empathic. <laughs> okay. The five to one ratio is what I want to talk about next. So this is that one negative thought is equal to five positive thoughts. So what that means is if you think one negative thought about yourself, it will take you five positive thoughts to get back to that like balanced mental state you were in before. Oh, man. I know. That's like, it's that's always my thing about like, why are humans so quick to focus on criticism and not like compliments if you know, like one bad comment on Facebook, but like 20 other encouraging comments, right? But you focus on the bad. Mm-hmm. So like that's the sort of the predecessor of what you're saying. And then it takes you that much more positivity to get you back. Exactly. What you're talking about is something called negativity bias, mm. which your brain finds the negative comments more important. Important might not be the right word, but like it holds on to it as like, hey, alert, alert. So yeah, totally a real thing. It's frustrating. It is. And you can even see it when you're measuring people's frequency. Like if you were hooked up to one of those, like, I can't think of the name of the machines, but you know what I mean? Yes. Like if, if you thought something negative, your frequency would drop and then you'd have to take, you'd have to think five positive thoughts to get back up. Like we can actually measure that. Yikes. I know. Oh, I think that you will like slash dislike this one. I'll explain. Well, you'll get it right away, but I'll explain to everybody else. Why. <laughs> okay. Um, dreams contain more valuable information than any of your awake thoughts. No. <laughs> so the reason why I'm saying that Jamie likes slash hates this is because I think that you just like facts and you think dreaming is cool and understanding dreams is cool, but also that you're frustrated by the fact that you don't often remember your dreams. Yes. And I, and I, and it takes such sort of discernment and deciphering. Like, I don't want to do the puzzle. I just want you to tell me what I need to know. <laughs> you don't want to put the work in. You just want to know. Right. Just fix me brain. Yeah. But I think you could look at it in a way that's like, if you remember something from a dream, even if it's just a little tiny thing and you, you wake up and it's like still in your mind, that that's just like a really valuable piece of information. Even if you don't know the whole puzzle, like look up the meaning, the symbology of that and like see what it meant to you and pay attention to that um, because that will give you some really beautiful golden nuggets. And that's more important than all of your conscious thoughts. Yeah, because it's subconscious and your conscious thoughts are kind of like a weird recycled version of your subconscious thoughts. Wow. It's like the, it's like the concentrate version. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay. This one I very much don't like, but I have heard it before. I actually, (laughs) I shouldn't share this. You guys, this is embarrassing. (laughs) Most of you know that I have a deep seated, long lasting love for John Bon Jovi. Oh, yes, we do know that. Okay. Well, do you, maybe this is still happening, but do you remember when Oprah would do her like masterclass series? Yes. Okay. Well, JBJ did one. Mm. And he said this fact, and it 
it took, this was a while ago, but like, it took me a while with it. So obviously like, I believe everything the man says, but like, <laughs> I had to like really sit with this one. And, and so like, when I saw this again, I was like, this is John Bon Jovi wisdom. Oh my God. Okay. Sure. So having a plan B makes your plan A a lot less likely to happen. Oh yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. Doesn't it kind of suck as, as a planner? I do not enjoy that. Yeah. That's yeah. So the philosopher, John Bon Jovi, what he said (laughs) was that like when he was, he was trying to get his career going, he, he never had like a backup. Like if this doesn't work, I'll do this or I'll do this until this point. He just was like, no, I'll just do this. And he talks about how that was like a real advantage for him that he didn't have anything else. He didn't have a fallback plan or whatever. So I I do see that as true. Yeah. And it makes sense, especially if you're, even if you're not aware of it, you're probably putting energy into plan B or plan C. And if you're doing that, then everything's not going into your real true goal. Exactly. So I don't like it because it feels unsafe to me, but I do believe it. I do too. Okay. All right. This is interesting. So let me ask you this question. Do you like scary movies? No, not since I've had children. Okay. Oh, that's perfect little tidbit. I do not like scary movies either. have never liked them. And I just thought it was because I was like, I couldn't separate like my empathy with what was happening on the screen, even if it was like cheesy and unbelievable. Right. <laughs> but it actually has to do with your hormones. What? Yeah. Depending on your hormone makeup, it, it determines whether or not you'll enjoy scary movies or not. Wow. So then my point does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Your hormones changed after you had kids and you couldn't watch them anymore because your hormones were like, no, we're, we can't manage this anymore. That That's how it felt. If Like before I, I could like knuckle through one or I could like feel like that tight stomach through it, but it would be, it'd be enjoyable and worth it. And then once I had kids, I was like, nope, this is like, I don't need to envision all this madness. That's super interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. I'd like, I would like that to be studied more. So you can tell me like what hormones are at play. Like I I would like more information. I couldn't find much about this, but like I would, if anybody knows about more about this, please tell us because I find this fascinating. Well, and is it maybe something to do with testosterone? Because wouldn't you say that generally men really love horror movies? Not that women don't, but um, that men definitely do. Yeah, that would make sense to me. I don't know. That's a reach, but it might be something to think about. I could get on board with that theory. Okay. My next one is people will choose to expect the worst over feeling uncertain because uncertainty is a more stressful state than dealing with a worst case scenario. Oh, I hate this, but it's a hundred percent true. It makes so much sense. I'm I've been there, but as an outsider, it's so frustrating to hear that. This is one of those things that, I like was really thinking deeply about this because I'm not a worst case scenario person. Like, and I'm not saying that to sound like, like, uh, like a higher consciousness being or something. It's not that. Um, It's that like, I'll compute that and like create a a plan for it, which is probably bad. Right. Cause it's like a plan B, but I'll do that. But I don't really stay there. Like uncertainty in, in some places is okay with me. (laughs) 
Does that right. make sense? So like, I, if, yeah. you, if you talked about it more with like money, I might feel a little bit more triggered to be in an uncertainty state around money, like to just not know. But like, if it was, if it was something outside of that, I don't think I would. So it, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. How do you feel? I agree with you. I think that unfortunately the unknown is less manageable than worst case scenario. At least you know what you're dealing with and you can then make subsequent plans from that worst case. But if it's unknown, then you literally don't even know how to approach it or attack it or fight it or fix it, you know? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think like having a strategy in your mind if something bad happens, even if you're not like worrying about it, I think it's probably a comfort. So I think that makes sense. Yeah. And that reminds me of a phrase I used to actually kind of like live by. And now when I hear it, I'm like, Ooh, that's not the right place to put your energy. But it's, um, like when people say, expect the worst, hope for the best. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't, I don't either. I felt like I was like protecting myself. Like I would be like, okay, I can handle this if the worst comes, but I'm, I'm ready for the best. Right. But you're putting way too much energy in like a bad outcome. Yeah. And, and the energy of expectation into a bad outcome. Right. Yeah, right. And, and I get, I get the thought process behind it, but you're right. I do think it, it's not quite right. Yeah. It's a little off. All right. Have you ever heard of the Dunbar's number? I think I have. Yes. Okay. So I, this, I just heard it on the news. Really? Okay. So this is the, the, the thing that your brain can only be close to 150 people. What? No, I've never heard of this. Okay. I'm going to say, I don't think I could, I have trouble with five. (laughs) Wait, what about like a concert or something? So, so not close proximity, like considering 150 friends or like close love. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a, that's a steep number for me. Who are the people out there that are like maxing out on this number? Like, Who are you and what is happening? And do you find it to be true? Because I could not manage. I don't think I know 150 people. No, I certainly don't know that many people that I would consider close, like close to me. Right. I think I have less people than that at my wedding. I don't I did not, but that's a different story. Um, So what happens if you get to like 150, your brain just isn't able to manage it? Yeah. It's just like they studied like how many people can, can the human brain manage being close to? And somehow they reached 150 as the number. And I, again, who did you poll? (laughs) Someone very extroverted and social, it seems. Wow. Yeah, that's that felt high. I really was expecting it to be like five, 15. 15 yeah. Yeah. Right. No, one fifty. <laughs> okay. I think you'll like this one. Human beings are designed to work. So I'm putting those like air quotes around the word work for four hours a day. I'm on board with this. I'm so sick of that whole like hustle thing that we do in our culture where you're supposed to work yourself to death. So I, I really do like the idea of this. Don't you think that's something we've learned from COVID too? Like that, like you can get a lot more work done when you're really focused and getting it done and not feeling like you have to stay in one place for eight hours. And yeah, you know. it's sort of like productivity for like show or something. And right. Like, 
when you take that away, you're sort of like, oh, I could actually do a better job with less time and do this more efficiently if I didn't have to like, quote unquote, hustle for eight hours a day. Right. I mean, there are obviously some jobs that that doesn't apply to, like teachers and doctors and mm-hmm. whatever like that. But but for your average sort of like cubicle type of job or office job or something like that, I bet four hours makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you know what? How about we take those jobs like teachers who work, especially now, ridiculous hours and pay them a lot more for the fact that they're they're not even designed to work more than four hours and they're working, what? 24. Yeah. Like quadruple their pay. How about that? Yeah. Just, just throwing that out there. Right there. All right. How about now we bring up our chat with um, Becky, our other expert therapist. Yeah. This one's really good too. Okay. I think she had some cool perspectives on all of the questions we asked her. Yeah. Very like real deal. Good info. Okay. Let's go to that one. We have another expert to talk to. Her name is Rebecca Fiddler. She is a licensed mental health counselor. She's the owner of Taproots Behavioral Health. Um, she's totally booked, so you can't book with her. <laughs> but, Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> but she does um, want to, she does love to talk about this subject. She did agree to come on. Becky, thanks for being here, friend. Thanks, ladies. Happy to have, be here. Have you had me? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the first question I have for you is what is your area of expertise? Like, do you feel like you have a certain area, a certain group of people you work with most? Who I work with most has really been an evolution in my career. Um, Now it's really a mix. And I would say a mix of age and the people that I am most working with are the people that are most being attracted to me or that I'm kind of sending out my beams to are other people who are intuitive in some way and they're seeking something deeper from their therapy sessions or they're just looking for something that is a bonus or an extra to the traditional therapy. I love that. So So everyone in their cars just went, damn it, she's full. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. That's why she's full. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Well, that kind of leads me to one of my other questions, which is, do you treat empaths and intuitive people differently than you treat other people? Do you have a different protocol? Do you make adjustments in your head? Like, how do you how do you deal with that? Or is it just the same for you? And I don't change anything about how I work based on someone being empathically open or not. Oh, that's really interesting. So it's kind of like their their energy of being intuitive and empathic kind of helps your own intuitive and empathic abilities. Yeah, them in a way, right? Yeah, and and I say what I am going to say from whatever I receive, regardless of if they know where it's coming from. So that was what was happening for me for the better part of my career so far was I didn't realize that I was using my intuition. I thought every therapist was just like me. You guys have heard me say that before. I really believed that I was just being a therapist. It was six, seven years ago when I understood that something more was happening. And it creeped me the heck out. (laughs) For the record, for everyone to know, that was a process. Because I think Heather might still remember the night I called her (laughs) shitting my pants because some crazy information came to me. Yes. But don't you think that that's actually, so maybe this is a follow-up question is like, 
I think you raise a really good point about it not being crystal balls, it not being like you seeing the future. So maybe that's sort of where maybe there has to be a line, because if you were to say, I'm an intuitive therapist, not that you call yourself that, but if you were going to say that to appeal to people who are intuitive, that might read really differently to other people that you're like, like performing seances whilst you know, running diagnostic tests on them. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it was, it took me a while after I realized the difference of what I experienced to then get comfortable to express it and share it with clients because I absolutely lived with a fear that they were going to think I was like wacky or that I was going to then lose potential clients because they thought, I was weird. Right. (laughs) Um, And whatever impression they had of intuition or, or really, I don't feel like intuition was being taught, even use that word as much. I think it was that you were psychic, right? So um, that came with a specific viewpoint on, on someone. So I was afraid that that was going to make people not want to talk to me. When I was able to work through that and find my language, now when I do an intake, that's the first session with meeting someone or a pre-phone call from that, it's pretty much in every every intake session that I mention, hey, I just want to let you know, this is what happens for me. I've had the benefit of, of doing sessions with you. Like we've had you know a client together, either I brought you in or you brought me in. And I have seen you tell people that before and have seen it be incredibly well received. Like, is that, is that your experience for, for most people when you're talking about that? Yeah. I've never had someone walk away because I said it. Um, The majority of people are intrigued say that's cool or, um, or just kind of like, Oh, okay. Um, And then what has happened over the past few years is the, the majority of my clients at this point are word of mouth. So people are referring because they know I do that. And so I think that's why the bulk of my caseload right now is people that they have sought me out for that reason. Isn't that so cool? What a, what a trippy journey of like, I'm afraid to tell people this mm-hmm. to the point of like, this is, this is why I'm full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because all it does is enhance my understanding of why their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are happening. Like it, it doesn't do these crazy things. It gives me understanding for why they are the way they are at this current time. Yeah. Which is to me, the way intuition should be presented more often because it makes us think it's going to be this big, scary thing, but it's really, it's quite ordinary, right? Like it's how you operate and you just have a great understanding of that. So I think that's amazing. And I think it also gives people permission to maybe share that about themselves where they might that same, that same kind of fear of how it might be received. So I love that. I had a really unexpected thing happen yesterday where a person from high school reached out that I haven't talked to in, I don't know, 20 years. And it was about something else. And then at the end kind of came back into the conversation and was like, Oh, by the way, I really love what you're doing with your, and he used the words, Jamie, like, honestly, actually, now that I'm being remembered of it, being remembered, being reminded of this um, intuitive psychology. I really love what you're doing with intuitive psychology and then shared. And it was a male. I do feel like that's noteworthy since males tend to be more skeptical. A male who said, it made me realize that things have been happening to me since I was a kid. 
And I didn't know until I started reading your posts. Wow. That's huge. Powerful. Right? Mm -hmm. Crazy. So it's just, I think when we give voice to it in all our different realms and in areas that we work, I think we're giving, uh, I think it's empowering. I think, I think we're, we're slowly, but I think it's kind of excelled lately helping people understand that they all have this. We're not holding some special power, but we're just, we just figured out how to use ours. So well said. I love that. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I, Heather, you spoke last about the growth versus fixed mindset and how widely accepted that's been since it was um, designed and language was put to that. I do think that growth mindset is a thing that can be molded and, and shaped a lot of schools. I do a lot of work with schools and they use that language. There's posters hanging in classrooms. They speak about the power of yet. I can't do that yet. Or I haven't done that yet. Funny enough. Cause I, I ended up getting interrupted in my podcast. Jamie, in the last, in the last episode, the, the precursor to this one, you used the word yet for something. And it, it struck with me that, that you had used it. Um, it was then later that you introduced the growth versus fixed mindset and you had, you, you had said yet, I wish I could remember to what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what the growth part's all about, right? It's that I just don't know how yet I can't do that yet. So it's not, I can't do that, which is fixed. All you have to do is put the word yet at the end and your mindset is shifted. So, um, yes, I absolutely think it's, it's moldable and changeable. The, level to which the belief that someone has and the 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 amount that they are rooted in it is where the challenges come in. Ooh. Mm, so it's it's possible. Mm-hmm. But some people for whatever reasons the beliefs that they have, I think for survival reasons at some point in their life might not let them change that mindset. They might need to hang on to that mindset because there's something in their subconscious that lets them think if I let go of this, I'm not safe in our own brain that are telling us that when we did or didn't follow something, it was, or wasn't okay. So if I use your language from the last episode, our brain is the, like the medium, the, the, the organ that, that gives us the ability to store all those experiences. Mm-hmm. And so that's always going to show up to give us this, to, to give us these examples about how we navigate things. And then the mind lets us know, I guess really kind of gives us a flag, like go or don't go, right. do or don't do. Um, mindset is validated throughout our life by all the lived experiences we've had. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So you're not just digging through like one thought, like you're going deep into all this evidence and experiences. It's sort of, I'm thinking of like how we said the brain was kind of like the car and the mind was the driver. Your trunk is full of shit. (laughs) And everyone's is. So for anyone who's listening out there, good for you. Your trunk looks like everybody else's. Like (laughs) we might just have different luggage. Like maybe yours is fancy. (laughs) Maybe mine's old and from Bradley's. I don't know. But like we... (laughs) But we all have our crap. Like, so mm-hmm. our mind is constantly aware of what's in, in that trunk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to know what, what is 
what we're able to do. So for most people, they are get to a place of wanting to shift mindset because something about their ways they're sick of, or they realize it's not working for me anymore. So if I developed a survival skill when I was 10 and it really worked for me a long time, but now as a 40 year old adult, I'm, I'm hitting the same walls over and over again. Now I might be ready to tackle mindset because I'm saying, I know why this is there, or I want to learn why this is there, but I want it to be different. Ooh, taking, but taking that moment right there is taking like one bag out of the trunk or like just opening the trunk. Right. So it's like, that's a great first step, but people need to let themselves off the hook that it's going to be work and that's going to be hard. Yeah, definitely. Therapy in its truest be truest being done, which is only really ever done by the client is hard. You, you are going to experience if you're really doing this, several growth spurts and growth spurts are always emotional. Yeah. Excellent point. Yeah. It's, it's a great way to look at it. Um, worth it, I think, because you know, sort of like that, that trunk being full and like having to deal with all that stuff in that trunk all the time when you're, you're moving through life is also very uncomfortable. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's certainly not just a simple a simple shift for a lot of, a lot of people with a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Do you have a weird, cool fact about the mind or how the brain works that you, that you love that you just think is weird that you want to share with us? I think the thing I reference about the brain the most that people don't think about is how our right side and our left side operate differently and serve two different functions. And if they're not working together um, is when impairment can happen impairment in the clinical word, meaning that things aren't functioning to your baseline. Um, so we work best when our right side on the emotional side and our logical on the left side are speaking to each other and acting together. Um, that's probably the thing I say most. So if I guess I had to say a, the thing that a weird or cool fact, that's probably a piece that I get said in, in sessions all, all the time. Yeah, I don't feel like people think of their brain that way. Like, I, I don't think they think so much of their brain as like having to all these different parts working together. I think they think of it as this one thing that's either failing yeah. or helping them, right? So, yeah. So that's a really good point because it's not. It's not your entire brain is shot. It's that there's a certain part that is struggling mm -hmm. or or has been affected. Um, trauma is the thing that will affect the brain the most in terms of long-term impacts mm -hmm. uh, for for things. But um, it has to have all different parts. Yeah, it's not just one big thing. I love that. That's that's a good reminder and thing to think about. Like, don't think of your brain as one big thing. It's just a part of it that maybe needs a little support. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that mental health has? such a stigma still like it's definitely getting better but why do you think you still have this weird stigma about taking care of your mind the first thing that would come to my mind is when we talk about multi-generational stuff the way that i have definitely seen it is that in our generation since we're all similar in age i think that we saw our parents and we we main we held in some of the stuff that we saw that they did with their parents so we, um, we, we speak more, but we were still learning the, you know, speak when you're spoken to or quiet when the adults are around or, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't have social media, so we couldn't, we didn't have access. We didn't have internet. Like we didn't have access the way that kids do now to form their own thoughts and opinions. Mm-hmm. So our thoughts and opinions were taken from the adults in our life. Um, where kids now don't have, that's not their sole reason or way of receiving information. In fact, it's probably their least way of receiving information. Um, and I think that teenagers now or kids that are, you know, let's say 18, 20 and younger, I think they watched us and they were really pissed. We weren't speaking. So they, they're speaking, I think in some ways, a little out of spite. Yes. Uh, but it's what I've always called healthy spite because <laughs> um, I realize how messed up that sounds, but healthy spite is when there's a win. Like you, your reason for getting into it might not have been best intended, but the outcome is great. Yeah. And I think our kids, I think our kids are really mad. We didn't speak more and and they're using their voice because we didn't. And when I talk to teenagers, I have to tell you, they're aware. They know that. They When I share this idea with them, they know that. Yes. That's, that's powerful. I love that. Yeah. All right. I want to know how often outside of work, just in your normal everyday life, you are, quote unquote, analyzing people as a therapist. Hmm. In my life, I'm always understanding people. But in work, I'm analyzing. Ooh, I like that. Like I, I'm analyzing is coming with understanding. It's part of it. In my life, I'm always understanding. Like what what is in front of me? Who was in front of me? The vibe of the room. Like yes, I love that. that I, I like think that. I, I, I'm I'm understanding it. It's probably the best way to separate that. I like that. So it's like you're kind of using your skills just to understand, not taking it to that analytical level. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like I'm using a skill. It it just feels like who I am. Yeah. Oh, that's such an intuition thing, isn't it? Like, wait, that's a skill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I almost was like, ew, that's not a skill. Like, you know, like it's, I I don't feel like I'm applying anything when Mm -hmm. that's happening. It's just happening. Yep. Yep. Feel you on that one. Absolutely. Um, How much do you think the average person understands about how their own mind works? So I don't think people are very aware. I agree with you. And the reason I was asking is because I think um, we don't educate people about this and we don't educate ourselves about this. And I think our lack of knowledge about how we operate really hinders our lives. And so I would imagine a lot of your job is kind of educating people about how they work. Yeah. There are things that I say to, honestly, I would say most people Mm -hmm. that in in my years, right. It, it feels like an obvious to me, mm-hmm. but it's not. Yeah. Um, and you can see when that happens. All right. I have one more question for you. Okay. It's a big one. <laughs> Cause why not do that way? <laughs> All right. Since you talk to so many people on a regular basis, we were wondering if you had a piece of information or advice that you, you feel like you just want everybody to know, or that like everybody could benefit from. I think the thing that m- everybody benefits from is realizing that for the majority of people, whatever people are experiencing most of the time is incredibly expected. When you look back at their life experiences and what, then they start sharing and then how it's affected them. Mm -hmm. It's that 
they're acting as expected. And I think the other part is that we're all we're all always growing. So we're, as we evolve and these growth spurts that I talked about happened, we're going to have points of discomfort. We're going to have what feels like um, setbacks or relapses or whatever words people want to use, but that's all part of the growth too. And we have incredibly high expectations of ourselves. And sometimes we just need to like chill out yeah, and, and also be able to laugh at ourselves a little bit. Um, like it, I don't want to minimize the seriousness of things that people have, but the, the, the seriousness to which they carry that baggage and put that in the trunk is, is dictating their level of content in their life, their level of, I don't usually love this word, but their level of happiness. So it's all there for a reason, people, whatever your baggage is, is there to shape you and grow you. And if you are willing to look at it, it all, you're acting as expected and you have reasons. I love that. I love that. I love that. That was a beautiful. All right. So I just want to tell everyone that you can find Becky on Facebook. And what I'll do is I'll link um, in the show notes, her page for you. Um, she does something called mental health Mondays. That is really cool where she posts some really good mental health nuggets. So you guys can check her out there and then you can keep an eye on updates. And if she, a coveted spot opens up or anything good, like <laughs> that, you can follow and see. Thank you for inviting me. We appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay, that was fun, but I have some more facts and hacks for you. My next one, this is something that I'm, I'm hearing referenced in our culture a lot lately, and it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you heard about this? Uh-uh. Okay, so this is the, the thing that smart people, people who are actually intelligent and well-educated, are more likely to think that they are not smart or they don't know enough about something. And ignorant people, people who don't know much about something are more likely to think that they are smarter than they are about stuff. This is what I thought you were talking about before. Like, I think it's keywords. I just watched something about this on TV or or online or something very recently. Makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Like, I don't really know that I even have to reference the subject I'm thinking of that comes up, but it's, Uh it's very prevalent in our culture where I see people going off on tangents about information that they clearly have no idea what they're talking about or coming from a very ignorant place. Uh, exactly. I think you're all, I think you also see that a lot in women who are very intelligent, but are always second guessing themselves probably because of this phenomena. And then also because they live in a society that does that to them. So it's like a compacted issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think you can see that in a lot of places in our society. Agreed. And I, I think we do kind of a bad job as a society, like really understanding what it means to be smart. Yes. Agreed. Like I remember being kind of surprised when somebody called me smart and like having to be like, wait, am I? Mm-hmm. Same. Like, oh yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. I am. <laughs> Right. I think you're taught that it's like straight A's, high IQ on a certain scale, you know, on an on a intelligent quotients test or whatever. And that's it. And then, you, you know, one's taught that you can be smart in, you know, a number of different ways. Yeah. And you don't have to be smart at everything. No. Yeah. Or you could also be like generally smart and not have like one thing, like not be a, a math whiz or like a spelling bee queen. You can be like generally very smart. Yeah. Why do I feel like you were a spelling bee queen? Well, Heather, (laughs) 
had one moment where I really wanted to be a spelling bee queen and I feel like I had a really good shot, but I got a little stage fright. I forgot. I still remember it to this day. I forgot <laughs> one of the M's in mammoth. No. Oh, my dreams were dashed. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> I, you guys, I really had no idea that she was going to say that. I know that she really was a spelling bee champ and had like a fall from grace. I did not know. I would, I would have, I would have run it by you before. I did <laughs> I've moved on mostly. <laughs> you seem a little better still. So. Okay, I this one is I found this really exciting, but when I was telling like my husband and stuff about it and my kids, they were like, mm. so I don't know, maybe, okay. maybe it's just me. But there's something called the imagination angle. Okay. So if I told you to close your eyes right now and picture an apple. Okay. You are picturing it from the angle, like a high tilted angle, like you're looking down at it as if it's on the height of a table and you're standing up, right? I was. Yeah. Okay. I was. That's how we all imagine stuff from that angle. And you can see it when like, if I said, draw an apple, you'd probably draw it from that perspective too. Why? I don't have any idea. And there's lots of weird theories on it. Um, But that's, the perspective, if you tell someone to imagine something, they are going to imagine it from that perspective. Wow. It's incredible. I feel like you agree with me that it's a cool fact, unlike maybe the rest of my family. I do agree, but I just had visions of running it by my family and them having the same sort of <laughs> nonplussed response. <laughs> okay. Um, there is something, this is real, Jamie. Okay. The Truman syndrome. Do you want to guess what this is? Uh, is it like the Truman show? Yes. Good guess. Really? It's a condition where people think that they are secretly living in a reality show. Oh, is this like what we talked about in the other episode? Like they're living in the matrix sort of, but they think that they are like Truman in the Truman show and that like, they're going to discover like, that they like hit the end of the ocean or like a a microphone boom or catch like the same person riding by on a bike again. Really? Yeah. I wonder why they think that that's really interesting. I don't know. I love that they named it after the Truman show. Same. I've had moments. I I don't necessarily think of it as like the Truman show, but where I'm like, well, that was a glitch on the matrix. Like that I do. So I can see like people having those kind of moments and then, maybe framing it as a, as the I'm being filmed in a show thing rather than like the matrix glitched. I'm more like, am I on punked? Is this really <laughs> happening to me? <laughs> Definitely. Really my life. But you just, but, you just showed your age by referencing punked because I, I bet you anything, if you go ask your daughter or like make that reference, she's going to have no idea what you're talking about. You're probably right about that. <laughs> but I've never like gone further with that thought. It's more of like a sort of, response to something really irritating like how could this actually be real life but I've never then been like I've never taken that thought any further and actually thought I was on the Truman show same I have definitely thought like wow time just made a mistake or the matrix glitched or someone's gonna pop out of those bushes and be like surprise you're on candy camera see that's even right. <laughs> that's um, way 
feeling pumped. <laughs> or do you know what I was just going to say? Oh, I just had like a weird moment. Ooh, that was weird. Uh-oh. Um, I was just going to say, or Ed McMahon was going to jump out with a prize check, but remember, I didn't do that. Heather. Effect. Remember we talked about that. I really was just going to say that. So if you don't know what we're talking about, please reference our Mandela Effect episode. You can learn all about Ed McMahon. Yeah, and how he never worked for a publisher clearinghouse. I can't. Never never had a big check at your door. I can't. Nope. Nope. Proof that the Mandela Effect is real to me, that one. Exactly. That and Shazam. (laughs) Don't talk about Shazam. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Okay, I have a few hacks for you now. Okay. Um, Okay. So if you're in a group of people and everybody starts laughing, if you look and you see who somebody's looking at when they laugh, you are going to figure out who they either feel the closest to energetically or want to be the closest to. Yes, this I agree with. (laughs) So one of my favorite ways to use this, this is a little bit diabolical. I, this is like a day where maybe I'm just admitting more about myself than I should, but it seems right. like feels like feels like that feels like that. Yeah. <laughs> but I like to do that if I'm suspecting that two people are like secretly dating or maybe sleeping together or something, I'm like, I'll look, I'll purposely try to say something funny and I'll see if they look at each other while they laugh. And then in my mind, it's not proof, but I'm like, huh, further evidence. Right. Gotcha. I do that with my husband all the time. Like if we're in a group, like in something funny happens, like, like chances are we'll both find something very funny. You know what I mean? So I, we look at each other. Yeah. I do the same thing. You look to the person that you're with, that you're close to, to like share that laugh with or something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So your, your example is less diabolical than (laughs) Right. Well, it's not my confession day, I guess. (laughs) I guess not. Okay. Oh, I love this one. When somebody asks you a hard question, start your answer with, that's a great question. And the asker will be less critical of your response. Oh, really? Because you've like stroked their ego a little bit? Yeah. You switch their brain into the place where they're um, like, they like you. Like subconsciously. So right. if somebody asks you a hard question and it also gives you a, like an extra second to think, but you say, oh, that's a great question. And then you answer the person who just asked will, will like receive that and won't be as critical of your answer. I think I love that hack. Oh, I do too. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, this is a good one. When somebody says sorry to you, don't say that's okay. Tell me what to say. I will. Say, thank you for apologizing. Okay, I can say that. They will be less likely to do it again. Wait, what? Yeah. When you say to somebody, that's okay, their brain has a different reaction to that than when you say, thank you for apologizing. Almost like you're giving them permission, right? That's okay. And their brain goes, okay. Wow. That's a good one. I feel like I would have to have a follow-up thing too. Like, thank you for apologizing. Let's move on. Or so like, <laughs> I feel like you're still leaving like a matzo ball out in the air a little bit. Yes. Right. Exactly. It's hard. I feel like it's hard for people, again, women, especially to not feel like they have to like absolve someone of something or like let them off the hook. Like you said, it's hard to sort of leave people like that up in the air. It's, it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. 
All right. I just have one more little hack. And honestly, I think this could be its own episode. So if anybody, if you guys think this would be fun, please give us some feedback and let us know that you want us to do an episode on this. But it's just that people will tell you so much with their body language if you just have a small understanding of how body language operates and works. Mm, I think I'm going to just skip over the feedback and say that this should be this should be an episode. I like okay. it. Okay, we'll put it on the list. Um, yeah. I thought I'd give you just one body language thing that you could try. We could we could give you more. Yeah, like comment on our like this week's Instagram post or something like that. Let us know. Absolutely. Okay. So when you are reading somebody's body language, what you want to do is establish a base. Okay. So notice when they come and they sit down, what their normal body language is. Okay. Like what are, what are they just like doing? How are they sitting? How are they holding their arms and their hands and their head and their legs and their feet? Like just take an assessment. They'll make some adjustments, but where do they settle in? Okay. And then you just want to note when they deviate from that place, because that is telling you that something else is occurring. From mm-hmm. that. So let's say somebody is sitting like super relaxed. They're kind of leaning back in their chair. Um, they have their hands just resting on the table and you asked a few questions and they stay that way. Um, and then you ask another question and suddenly they bring their hands up to their face. Oh, that's when you want to pay attention that you have just triggered something in that person that they moved their body language. So that's okay. like my, that's like my body language starter class for you. That's you do that to me all the time. I do that to everybody all the time. Yeah. You're like, I can tell by the way you're sitting, Jamie, that <laughs> you don't like that. <laughs> I do. And then one other little body language nugget for you is to just look at where somebody's feet are pointing. And if their feet are pointing at the door while you're talking to them, they have lost interest in your conversation. Really? Yeah. That means they're ready to go. It's crazy that that, that happens subconsciously, that your body's literally trying to like point you out the door. Yes. And, and a lot of times people consciously aren't aware that they're doing, I would say most of the time they're not aware. So they're not trying to be rude, but like, I'll notice like somebody will start pointing their feet to the door. And then like maybe two minutes later, they'll be like, all right, well, I should get going. But they were maybe waiting. So like, just if you notice that, don't start a new long story or do if you're trying to keep them there. I don't know, but let them off the hook. (laughs) Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. The direction someone's feet are pointing will tell you a lot. Hmm. I love that, Heather. Okay. Those are my, those are my little uh, facts and hacks for you. So fun. All right. This was a fun episode. I, I love that we had some, some guests on and I'd love to hear some feedback from the listeners about what they thought about having uh, some guests. Yeah. I want all the feedback. I want to hear about it. Always. Yes. All right. Thanks, Jay. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And like go report back. Hey, thanks for listening to our episode. For show notes and a place to send feedback, please visit our website, embodylove.me slash intuitivegirls. Again, that's embodylove.me slash intuitivegirls.